0: Hey everybody, my name is Aubrey and you're listening to the Faithful Millennial Podcast where I talk about Jesus, Bible prophecy and world news in hopes to reconnect the millennials and Gen Z generation back to Jesus Christ. Thank you for being here. Hello, everybody. This is episode four of the Faithful Millennial Podcast. Uh, My objective in this episode is to break down one of the most important events in human history that has not happened yet. So we are going to break down the events of the second coming of Jesus Christ. So this is going to be a four-part mini-series about the second coming. Specifically in this episode, I'm going to laser focus in on an event that Christians refer to as the rapture. So I'm hoping that I can fit all of that into one episode about this topic. So let's break it down. Now, the study of end-time events, the rapture, the seven-year tribulation, and the second coming of Christ can all be bucketed into what is called eschatology. So eschatology is the study of end-time events. And eschatology, in my opinion, is the most important study as a Christian. But yet churches aren't teaching it, I've noticed. And I think that this is because people are afraid of the subject. They just don't want to believe that the world really is going to end one day. Um, They don't want to know about it. They don't want to read it. People would rather worry about getting married or having kids or accomplishing their life goals than to think about the return of Christ being a real thing. Because I'll be honest with you, it is scary. Um, If you read the book of Revelation, you learn about locusts, demonic locusts that are attacking people that have the mark of the beast during the seven-year tribulation. So um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you also probably haven't studied eschatology. But if people claim to be followers of Christ, but know nothing about the second coming of Christ, then you're going to be one heck of a confused Christian when these things start to happen. Um, But not only does eschatology bring you peace of mind, it's also going to bring you closer to God, I have found. So you'll be able to look out your window in the morning, and see the whole world burning down to the ground, but know that God has the whole thing under control already. So the book has been written. The words have been sealed. It's very important to us as Christians that we study Bible prophecy and we really actually learn it. And one thing a lot of Christians don't know or understand is that 30% of the Bible is Bible prophecy, most of which is in regards to the end time events. So if one of the last sermons that Jesus told his disciples before he was crucified was how the world's going to end, and we as Christians aren't paying attention to that, then what are we doing as a church? Why aren't we warning people? Why aren't we telling them about the greatness of God and Bible prophecy? That's what saved me, because when you begin to understand that every event that's in the Bible has happened, aside from, of course, these last few events that I'm about to talk about, um, you begin to shift your worldview. So that worldview goes from not really having a strong belief to, holy cow, God is real, and he does want a relationship with me. And this book that he put together so nicely for me to read is actually the word of God. And Jesus Christ is alive and in heaven, and he's going to return, and he's going to return with vengeance. And I want to make sure that I'm on the right side of that. So Jesus says that on judgment day, people will be saying to him, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, depart from me. I never knew you. He also says that people honor him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. So the study of end times and the second coming of Christ is so important to us as believers. And yet it's probably the most misunderstood segment of the Bible. So I want to make this clear. I have no hobbies other than this. I don't really do anything aside from eat, sleep, take care of my one-year-old, and I study the Bible. And I wish I had an addiction to hiking or photography like I used to, but I truly am addicted to learning about the Bible. And over the past three and a half years, I have done nothing with my free time except for read books on theology, eschatology, listen to podcasts about the subject. I watch YouTube video sermons teaching the subject. Um, So I have personally made it my life goal that anyone that knows me or hears this podcast hopefully can come to me as someone who is a reliable source for whether you're an old believer in Jesus or you've just now come to the faith. Um, Hopefully I can be someone that will be able to help you at least look in the right place to find the answers that you're looking for when it comes to this subject. But um, anyways, I do want to kick off this four-part mini-series on the return of Christ by talking about um, the most controversial subject in eschatology, which is the rapture. So the rapture is not something that Christians deny. If you are a Christian, it's true that there is an event that will come to pass called the rapture. Where a lot of Christians disagree on this subject is the timing of the rapture. So is it going to be before the seven-year tribulation? Is it going to take place in the middle? Will it be at the end? Um, My belief and the conclusion that I have come to from the past three and a half years has been that the rapture is indeed before the seven-year tribulation. You have to twist scripture in a way to make it fit a different narrative in order to make it a mid-tribulation rapture or a post-tribulational view. And scripture supports the most a pre-tribulational rapture. So let's read some verses from the New Testament just in regards to the subject. The first one being from Jesus himself. So Jesus says in John chapter 4, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. All right, that's one. So let's read First Thessalonians chapter 4, 16 through 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed." Revelation, chapter 3, verse 10. Because you have kept the word of my patience, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which will come upon the whole world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. Now, this is an honorable mention, but if you read the book of Revelation, the church is not mentioned anymore after chapter 3. The church has gone out of the earth now at this point. So immediately after you read Revelation, chapter 3, John says that he hears a voice from heaven saying, come up here. And then chapter four begins with God's judgment on earth. So I just think that's really interesting. Very, uh, very, very cool to think about. But um, moving on, Mark chapter 13, verse 32. But about that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but the father. Luke chapter 21, verse 36. Watch therefore and pray that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So, and here's another verse from Isaiah. This is, um, Isaiah is known as the prophet that Jesus quoted the most in the New Testament. So this is Isaiah chapter 26, verse 20. Come my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself as it were for a little while until the indignation is past. So the indignation that Isaiah is referring to here is the seven-year tribulation, the wrath of God poured out on earth. So to better understand the rapture, you, you really kind of have to break down what the second coming of Christ is first. So the second coming of Christ, it's a belief held by Christians that Jesus will return to earth at some point in the future to eradicate all evil, establish his millennial reign on earth, And for God's final judgment on all persons on the earth, and to create the new heaven and the new earth that we will dwell in with Him for all eternity. So, there is a reason for this. God just doesn't do things without a purpose. Um, There's a reason why Jesus has to come a second time, and what it means for the Jewish people and the non believer. So, we're going to break down exactly what events are supposed to happen next, what the seven year tribulation is going to look like um, for the people who are left behind, and then. Um, yeah, so basically, let's start off with this. So since creation, God has had a purpose for man. That purpose was to create man in his image so that we could live together with God and he would be our creator. Now, Genesis doesn't exactly explain why God made man. It doesn't specifically say that he was lonely or just wanted to create humans. It just says, let us create man in our image. So I personally hold the belief that God is just so great and amazing that he just wanted to share all of this incredible universe that he made um, and give it to us as his children to spend eternity with. So if you know anything about Adam and Eve, it's that they were not originally supposed to die. They were actually created to walk with God and to rule God's earth. The book of Genesis states, however, That once Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that they were no longer able to access the tree of life. So the tree of life um, gives eternal life to those who eat from it. So the book of Genesis states that once man had fallen, God placed several angels around the tree of life in the garden to protect it. So they're protecting it from ever being eaten by corrupted man. So fast forward several thousand years, then comes Jesus Christ the Savior of mankind. So Jesus came to this earth as 100% man and 100% God, born from a virgin and by the Holy Spirit to become a perfect sacrifice for all humanity so that whoever believes on him would be saved and you would see eternal life and once again walk with God forever. That's what the gospel promises the believer. So the reasoning and the purpose behind the second coming of Christ is this. The Jewish population, not all Jews, of course, but the majority of the Jewish population throughout history have not believed that Jesus is the, the Messiah. They believe that he was a man who claimed to be God and was crucified for saying that he was God. So it's also widely thought amongst Judaism that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. So because to the Jews, their Messiah should not be dead. He should be God and live forever. They didn't realize that the Christ was to suffer for mankind's sins first, die, come back to life, ascend to heaven, and then return for a second time to finally accomplish all the promises that the Jews believe in. So they believe that the Messiah should be a great military figure who overcomes all world governments and liberates the Jewish people. Which, of course, we know that Jesus Christ is a great warrior figure who does liberate the Jews and the Gentiles, um, but that's the purpose of his second coming, not his first coming. So, what the Jews from the first century missed is that the Christ would come to earth twice. So, once as a baby born of a virgin to grow up a man and to eventually be crucified for our sins, and then the second time to judge the earth for all of its evil and to establish his reign on the new heaven and the new earth. So, Jesus actually um, prefaces this in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 3. He says, um, and he's speaking to the um, Pharisees, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Basically, what he's saying is you're paying more attention to the weather than you're paying attention to the fact that I am the Messiah and my prophets told you of my coming. Um, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but The seven-year tribulation is for the Jewish people who have not accepted Christ as their Messiah and for the non-believers. So it's a time of great judgment on earth that God's been foretelling mankind about for thousands of years through his prophets that will come on the whole earth to establish God's kingdom. Um, Basically, God has to create a new heaven and a new earth for both man and God to dwell in forever. So its purpose is to eradicate evil. The evil that has been corrupted in the world by Satan so that sin would no longer exist and that we can live in perfect unity with God. So a lot of people are asking this question. So what happens next then? What does the Bible say about what's happening right now in the world? And how does it translate to the times we're living in? And what does the Bible say about it? So in this event called the rapture, according to Jesus, is a signless event. So there will be nothing that precedes it. It can literally happen at any moment. Jesus says that he will come like a thief in the night to take believers to him before the tribulation period. So let's revisit what I said earlier, John chapter 14, where Jesus tells his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am there, you may be also. So the literal Greek translation where Jesus says that I will receive you to myself, it literally means that he will bring you up to where he is. Not that he's coming down to earth to pick us up and bring us back up with him. It says that he's bringing us up to him, to where he already is. So where's Jesus? Jesus is in heaven. So he's speaking of a literal event that will take place where he will call us up to him, According to the Apostle Paul, this moment will take place in the moment in the twinkling of an eye, and then the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air, 1 Thessalonians. So we know from Jesus that the rapture will take place at any given moment, and he also teaches his disciples that this will occur before the seven-year tribulation begins. So in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 10, this is where Jesus is speaking to his apostle John while John was exiled to the island of Patmos. So it says that John saw a vision of Jesus Christ, and Jesus is telling him of what was to come at the end of the world. Basically, the book of Revelation is about um, a vision of the seven-year tribulation and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it tells um, the apostle John basically is told to write everything down. So Jesus tells John to write to the church of Philadelphia, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Oh, honey, take a sip of water, y'all. Dang. Okay, so Jesus plans to preserve his bride, the church, from the hour of trial that will come upon the whole earth. Now, skeptics of the rapture use this argument all the time. They say that you can't find the word rapture in the Bible. Well, of course you can, because you're reading an English translation of the Bible. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. So the Greek word for rapture is harpazo. The word harpazo that the Apostle Paul uses in Thessalonians and several other places in the New Testament um, means to be snatched away by force or to be carried away forcefully. So the Greek word harpazo is in the Bible. And we get the word rapture from the Greek word harpazo, which in Latin is rapturo. So that's where we get the word the rapture from. You also can't find the word Trinity in the Bible, by the way, but yet we believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So anytime somebody tells you that the word rapture isn't in the Bible, therefore it does not exist, go ahead and give them that information. Um, so there have been tons of movies based on The Rapture. The 90s Left Behind series, that was one of the best-selling books for several years. Um, those eventually also turned into a movie series, which were really popular at the time. Um, my personal favorite is the first Left Behind movie with Kurt Cameron. I love that movie. It is so cool if you want to see, like, um, a realistic version of what it would actually look like if The Rapture happened and what the world looks like in the beginning of the Tribulation period. But with any mystery that's revealed in the Bible, there are questions. So people have a lot of questions about this. This is obviously a very um, mysterious event. People want to know what is it going to look like? What is it going to feel like? Is it going to hurt? For example, what's going to happen to our bodies at the rapture? Will we physically be removed from the earth and our clothes will be left behind? Um, Are our bodies just going to drop on the streets and our spirits be ascended? I personally hold the belief that our bodies will be transformed. Um, because if you read in first John chapter three, verse two, John's writing about essentially this event, what it's going to look like for us. He writes, beloved, now are we the sons of God and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. So I believe that we'll have physical bodies, but these bodies will be free of disease or any form of pain or sin, Um, just like how Jesus's body was after he resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven himself. Another question I hear a lot is, does this include children? Yes, children will disappear. Children don't have the law of the Lord in their hearts, which is why one minute they'll be hugging you and then the next minute they'll slap the sippy cup out of your hand. So up until the age of accountability, which, of course, nobody really knows what age that is, um, I personally believe that it totally depends on a person's development. Like, for example, if there's a 20-year-old who has the mind of a 3-year-old child, that person's age technically doesn't matter, does it? It's about their development and their maturity and their understanding of the law. So in Deuteronomy, God tells Moses in chapter 1, verse 39, moreover, your little ones, which you should, which you said should be a prey and your children, which had no knowledge between good and evil. So children will also be taken since they're completely innocent and void of that knowledge of good and evil. So now that we have explained what the rapture is and where it comes from in scripture, um, Jesus Christ foretold his disciples of this event and the mystery of the rapture was also revealed to the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, but um, Paul also writes in 2 Thessalonians that the Antichrist will not be revealed until after the rapture has taken place. So he writes in 2 Thessalonians, the restrainer will continue to restrain until he is taken out of the way and then that man of lawlessness will be revealed. So who is the restrainer? The restrainer is the Holy Spirit who lives in every believer. Jesus calls us to be the light and the salt of the earth and to restrain evil and to hold back the evil that is in the earth. He calls us to disciple, um, to love one another, to teach the gospel. Um, We're told to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So if this is the case, let me ask you this. Can the Antichrist be revealed if the church is still here? Well, no, because the church would immediately recognize who he is and call him out on his bluffs. We would immediately expose him for his lies because we've read in the Bible that his characteristics, we know what he's going to say. We know that he's going to charm his way to the top. We know that he's going to preach peace and security. So the church has to be raptured. We have to be taken out of the way um, in order for the Antichrist to be revealed. So anyone that you see that's predicting oh, Elon Musk is the Antichrist, or Joe Biden is the Antichrist. Um, They're leading you astray. The Bible says that we will not know who the Antichrist is until we are gone. So he won't be revealed until we're out of the earth to stop restraining the evil. And here's another thing I think is interesting to think about, is what would happen to the planet if Christians were gone? Is that not what every globalist, non-believer, um, abortion activist Is that not what they want in the first place? That would be like an oasis to these people if we weren't here. So innocent life would be taken at an astronomical rate. Murders and crimes would go up because all moral and ethics would be out the door. Um, prisons are overran. Police wouldn't be able to keep up with crime. Cars will be piled up on the highways. The roads would be blocked for days, probably weeks, if not months. Um, you would either, if you weren't raptured, you'd be involved in like a car wreck of some sort. Your car is going to be stuck. You'll most likely have to walk to your destination because the highway is jammed. So if you think of that scene in the walking dead where the cast are, um, they're outside of downtown Atlanta and they're in the highway and they're looking at downtown Atlanta from the highway and there's just cars piled up as far as you can see. Nobody in them, just cars in their way, so they just can't get around. Um, Tow truck companies, they wouldn't be able to keep up with the demand. Restaurants, grocery stores, any retail space would be totally overran with crime, and people would be constantly breaking in and looting. Um, Planes falling out of the sky. The pilot and the co-pilot, if they're both Christians, then (laughs) I always like to say to um, anyone that I meet that's a non-believer to make sure that if you get on a plane, That your pilot isn't a Christian. If they are, you might want to accept Christ just in case the rapture does happen mid flight. That would be bad. But consider this too how many people are involved with maintaining nuclear power plants? How many of them are Christians? What if they get raptured? Nuclear power plants would explode after years of no maintenance. So the radiation, you can imagine, would leak into the environment. Um, This is going to poison the water, the soil, the food. And isn't that what the book of Revelation says will happen? A third of the water will be completely undrinkable. So who's going to maintain society? Who is going to get things back on track after all this happens? Well, I will tell you who. His name is the Antichrist. But uh, this guy's going to come up as a great world leader. The book of Daniel says that he preaches peace and prosperity. It also says that he will sign a seven-year covenant with many, and the third temple will be built during the first three and a half years of the tribulation, because in the middle of the seven-year tribulation, uh, the Antichrist will sit in the temple of God, claiming himself to be God. And that is when, as you know, the second half of the tribulation begins. But anyway, we aren't here to talk about the seven-year tribulation just yet. That's the next episode. Right now, we are going to stay focused on the rapture. So what is the purpose of the rapture? Why are Christians going to be taken before the tribulation? Well, there is a period of time in the Bible that's referred to as the age of grace, also called the dispensation of grace or the church age. So it's the sixth divinely apportioned dispensation of world history, according to dispensationalism. What dispensationalism is, is a system of theologi- theologians, tongue twister. Um, this is what they use to divide and categorize the historical events in the Bible. So the age of grace is the um, period that occurs right now in history. So it began on the day of Pentecost, and it's made possible by Jesus's sacrificial death on the cross, his resurrection and ascension. Um, so the period of time between when Jesus ascended into heaven to the time that the rapture occurs is the age of grace. So during this time period, Jesus calls us to spread the gospel, continue Christian ministry. Sorry about that. My outro started playing in the middle of me talking, but, um, so that's the period of time between, um, the ascension of Jesus and the rapture. So we are to uh, spread the gospel, love one another, feed the hungry, help the homeless, heal the sick, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So um, looking at a timeline of history, we have the death and resurrection of Jesus. Then we have the church age or the age of grace. Um, Then we have the rapture of the church, which takes place literally at any given moment. Whenever God tells Jesus to go get his bride, And then following the rapture, we have the seven-year Great Tribulation. Immediately after the seven-year Tribulation, we have the second coming of Jesus Christ. So Jesus will return to earth with heaven's army and the Bible. um, Describes this moment as Jesus with a sharp two-edged sword, which is the word of God that comes from his mouth. And he literally destroys evil on on the earth with just the word of God is what it says. Um, At this time, also the archangel Michael, he locks up Satan in the abyss for a thousand years while Jesus Christ reigns and rules on earth from Jerusalem for a thousand years. Then once those 1,000 years are complete, it says that God will lose Satan again for a time. It doesn't say how long, but it says he will lose Satan again for a time to deceive the nations once and for all. So um, Jesus throws Satan at the end of that time into the lake of fire completely and finally, um, then the final judgment of all humanity takes place. So, this is the famous judgment day that's spoken about so often. Um, Jesus tells his disciples that this is where he separates the wheat from the tares, basically, separating the good from the evil um, once and for all. And anyone who has not accepted Christ in their hearts goes into the lake of fire for all eternity with Satan and his demons. So, you can see why this needs to be a mini series. This is a lot to cover for someone who is a baby Christian or who just doesn't know eschatology, but um, I will do my best to fit all of this into four parts, but this first segment, I wanted to solely just discuss the rapture and the biblical evidence for it, um, just so people know what's coming next and what to expect, and to not be afraid and to know that there is a way out of this, and that only is through Jesus Christ, the belief in Jesus Christ. So, um, What is God waiting for? Why hasn't he raptured us yet? What is the holdup? Well, I hear this question a lot and consider this. Have you spread the gospel to the ones that you love? Have you told your friends about Jesus Christ? Because maybe God's waiting on you. Maybe God has so much patience and love that he's making sure. Sorry, my outro started playing again. This is Satan, I swear, trying to attack me, make me not talk about this. But um, anyway, what I'm trying to say is spread the gospel because we are not here forever. And maybe God is waiting on you to tell that one person about Jesus. Once that last person accepts Christ who is supposed to, then he's going to tell Jesus to go get his bride. So tell your friends about Jesus And the sad thing is, I saw a TikTok the other day of a guy who was interviewing people. And basically, he was asking them if they have anyone in their lives that they trust who are Christians. And almost every person in that video said that, yes, they do have someone that they trust who is a Christian. Then he asked the question, well, have they ever shared the gospel with you? And almost every time, that person said, no, they have not. We as a church need to do better. We need to stop caring about what people think. The book of Jude says that some people you save with love and some people you save them with the fear of hell. You just have to share the gospel with them. If they don't listen to you, Jesus says to shake off the dust of your feet and go to the next one, because it will be better for that, um, for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that person on Judgment Day. So I know that was a lot to cover. I know there's probably a lot of questions. Um, Please send me your questions if you have any about this episode, because My husband had a ton of questions about the rapture and the second coming of Christ, and I thought they were all really good, super valid questions. So I know if he has questions, then so do you. So um, Instagram is the best way, probably the easiest way to contact me. So if you guys know of anything um, specifically that you want to know about the second coming of Christ, the seven year tribulation, the rapture, um, anything in regards to the subject of eschatology, please reach out to me. I'm so happy to talk about it. But Um, Next episode, we're going to touch on what's going to happen on the earth immediately following the rapture. What is it going to look like? What is the Antichrist going to do? What's the first three and a half years of the tribulation going to look like for those who are left behind? So um, stick around because it's going to get real crazy and I'd love for you to be there for it. But I will talk to you guys next time. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great week. Bye.